0: What's up guys, welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. On this week's show, which is episode number 98, by the way, um, I am going to be getting into the, a little bit deeper into this whole Ukraine crisis that's currently unfolding. I'm going to be asking whether or not it's going to impact the real estate market. Now, um, last week I put out a bit of an update just on general things. I actually had just gotten married last week, and so I put out a little bit of a, an update on that and i just mentioned the ukrainian crisis and a little something strange happened you guys that are used to listening to me first thing on a monday morning you might have discovered that um the episode wasn't up and i had actually recorded the episode and put it up perfectly on time um, for monday morning and for whatever reason it didn't go didn't get released, and I started wondering, hmm, I wonder is this, you know, some sort of related to the word invasion being in my um, in my title and things like that. So anyway, I re-uploaded it, sent it out, and it was up by, I think, later in the afternoon. But um, this week I'm going to be going into the, you know, the whether the invasion, whether the crisis unfolding in Ukraine, whether that could actually trigger a real estate market crash and now before i go on any further i think it's important to acknowledge that you know there's very tragic circumstances unfolding in ukraine so me talking about you know whether this is impacting the real estate market is a little bit it might come across as a little insensitive but i have been watching very very carefully the news and everything like that and i mean it is incredibly tragic what's going on 1.5 million refugees by the end of this weekend Uh, lives have been lost, innocent lives, like children and stuff like that. It's absolutely horrendous and families are being separated. You know, husbands are bringing their wives and their kids to the border and then turning around and heading back into the chaos. And so you can just, my heart goes out to everybody and it's, it's absolutely terrible. And I feel kind of very shallow kind of talking about the real estate thing. But then at the same time, I kind of acknowledge that Closer to home, a lot of people, um, you know, real estate, their investment portfolio is their livelihood. Their investment portfolio may be everything that they've kind of saved up over many years, and it might be their opportunity to retire. So this is very, very important to another segment of people, but I just wanted to kind of mention the fact that I am not, you know, it hasn't been lost on me, the the, the tragic circumstances that are going on. Incidentally, this uh, entire episode is being recorded again um in video format and going up on the youtube channel so if you want to check that out just look up behind the facade real estate investment is i think the way i actually found there's another podcast called behind the facade podcast so i changed it to behind the facade real estate podcast i think it is and so if you want to go and check that out um, it'd be great and leave a comment there if you have any suggestions or topics you'd like me to cover in future so anyway Without further ado, let's get into the episode. You are listening to Behind the Facade, I'm your host Gavin J. Gallagher and on this podcast I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts and your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. All right, guys, this week um, I'm jumping back into the events unfolding in Ukraine, um, but I'm not going to be covering the tragedy, um, and uh, you know, I'm not going to be going into the news, and I'm not going to be going into all that. If you want to cover that, you know, there's, there's a thousand channels out there are talking about all that kind of stuff and I happen to be watching them very 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 closely Um, and I've mentioned before that my wife is uh, Moldovan and therefore she is very closely kind of linked to all of what's going on because she has family living in Moldova and there is a very big risk that Russia will invade Moldova if it is successful in Ukraine so but let's just like try to retarget this back to the whole property market, and I am not. I'm looking exclusively at whether or not this is going to trigger some sort of real estate or property market crash. Now, before I do a little bit of an update, this week I spoke at the Dublin PPN uh, meeting, which is the uh, Progressive Property Network Dublin meeting. And um, first of all, I want to thank Stephen O'Sullivan, the organizer, and he asked me to give a talk. And it was actually my first talk in exactly almost to the day, two years. So the COVID pandemic has you know has had me kind of working online and over Zoom and things like that for two whole years. And this was the first time I stood up in a room full of people and gave a talk in that time. So a little bit of a shout out to some of the people that were there and came up to me afterwards and said hello. So you got John, you got Patrick, you got Alan. They all kind of came up and asked questions about my, um, my mastermind. And then there was also Shane, Ed, Mary, Christina, you know, people that I know that are in the kind of uh, Dublin real estate scene. My talk covered um, the changes that we've experienced over the last two years. And I went into kind of the disruption to society and systems and the fact that uh, a lot of these things, you know, they were going to happen over time, but they've actually happened in a much, much more accelerated way. So for example, we were all adopting technology slowly but surely, but none of us would have jumped into virtual meetings, I think at the speed that we did until the COVID pandemic came along. And then things like work from home, I got into all that kind of stuff during the talk. Um, But these events in Ukraine kind of have taken over everything. And I actually think that, the, you know, everyone's been kind of saying, COVID is over, thank God, and let's kind of get back to normal now. And unfortunately, I think these events unfolding in Ukraine are potentially even more disruptive than COVID. Um, I'm sorry to be the one to say that because I'm usually a pretty optimistic person, but um, it is just a concern of mine that this is the way things are heading. Um, Like just the whole, just the rhetoric coming out of um Vladimir Putin about you know and then just the sanctions and everything anyway look we're going to get into that a little bit later in the interim what I thought I'd do is I would remind you guys of something that I talked about many times before on this podcast and that is the four E's and it's a little bit there's actually a video I created it'll pop up on the banner up above if you're watching on YouTube but the um the four E's are your ego your emotions the economy and events And those are the four risks to your sort of investment career. And uh, boy, are we talking about some serious events at the moment. But each of those, like when I talk about ego and emotions, that's kind of, you know, your internal risks. But then economy and events are your external risks and the things that you have no control over. And it's, this is one of the reasons why it is so important that you always leave yourself some wriggle room or some room for maneuver. Um, nobody would have predicted September 11th, 2001. Nobody predicted COVID in you know, the, the first month or two of 2020. And here we are. Now, you might have been able to predict it, but if you would look went back a year ago or six, even six months ago, nobody would have predicted that there would be a full-scale invasion taking place in Ukraine at the moment, which is part of Europe. And um, we are, you know, it, there's a there's a serious risk that this thing could, um, you know, expand beyond Ukraine and, and turn into like a much bigger war. Um, so that I said, and that, you know, put that aside and it's important to remember one of the biggest strengths of being an investor one of the most important strengths of being an investor is the ability to kind of put this kind of stuff aside and not get emotional in your decision making what is super important certainly in my opinion is to is to be able to kind of sit back and just look at this in a in a kind of cold unemotional rational kind of way and just Try to kind of remove the emotion from it because emotion makes you kind of blind to certain um, realities, and so it's it's just a, it's important that you kind of remember that. And despite the fact that I have serious concerns that this uh, war could expand into a much bigger conflict, I do think that, and and I do think that Moldova could be next on the uh, on the block for for an invasion. So we'll you know look look at your watches. What is it? We're on the. Uh, I think it's like. Th- the first, it's the 7th of March, the day that this is this podcast is going out. And so let's see whether or not I'm correct about this prediction. Um, I very much hope I'm wrong, by the way, because there's all sorts of um, luggage or baggage, I should say, that's going to unload with that of those events because my wife's mother and sister are probably going to have to move here to Ireland if that's the case. And so there's going to be a whole lot of disruption in the events. So I'm certainly not hoping that these events unfold. Um, But as I said, being an investor, you gotta put these emotions to one side and you have to kind of look at it and assess what is this going to do to my asset, my asset price, my asset income, and what is it going to do to the wider market? And like, what are the risks and can I mitigate these risks in some way, shape or form? Um, are there other opportunities that might actually come about from the events that are unfolding? Uh, and how can I make the most of those opportunities? How can I position myself to take advantage of them? Um, do I need to pivot? You know, a lot of people um, will have a certain strategy in mind or a certain marketing plan or whatever it might be for your business or your you know portfolio building to go ahead. Um, but you need to do is just analyze that and, and and say, you know, is this the right thing right now? Is this the right strategy for the moment that we are in? Or do I need to pivot slightly or substantially to take advantage of opportunities and to de-risk your portfolio or your deals? Now, before I move on, I should mention that these are topics that I specifically go into in my new training course that I'm bringing out and um, I go into, you know, risk, opportunity, analysis, financing, all of that kind of stuff. It's only a six-week training program. It's um, it's for people that are kind of starting out. So if you are interested in that, the, f- the first day of the course is going to start in the second week of April. So it'll be just after the Easter holidays. And so if you are interested, contact me and I'll be happy to give you more details on that. So let's get into the main question of the day. Are we heading for a crash? Um, before, in order to kind of get into the answer of that, I think what we have to go back to, um, look at the drivers of the market. Now, not so long ago on this podcast, I put out an episode and I talked about the drivers in the residential market. And it's important, I think, that we just kind of go back over some of those drivers because this is, this is really important. Uh, the main drivers that are supporting a property market are supply demand affordability and one that I'm adding in is sentiment and uh, that's going to be particularly important in these times where there's kind of a geopolitical risk and uncertainty so starting with the first one supply I think it's really important to just have a look at the amount of property that is being built in the country that you're in now whichever country that you're in I mean I'm in Ireland there's a lot of listeners in the US. There's a lot of listeners in the UK. I know we have Australian listeners. Like we have listeners all over the world. And uh, when I see the different um, charts coming up when I do my analytics, it's it's quite amazing. So all of you guys, all in different parts of the world, what you got to do is have a look at the supply that is, you know, coming to the market in your local region. And certainly here in the Irish market, and I know for a fact in the UK market, there is just a complete undersupply of property coming to the market compared with the amount that is required. And that is an important first thing to kind of point out. Now that was happening before anyway, before COVID struck. And COVID has definitely had an impact, a further additional impact on supply. But if we go back even further, and something that I like to analyze is just go back to the 2008 crash, the global financial crash. And just consider whether or not that itself has had an impact on supply. I believe it has. And then just let's have a look at inventory levels that are in the market at the moment. So just getting into the amount of property that is needed in the market. I've been looking at you know lots of headlines in the papers and, and I've been looking at stuff that's going on in the UK. And it is estimated by the... Uh, Institutional Irish institutional property um, suggests that we need 50,000 new homes every year just to solve the housing crisis that we're in. Now, that's the Irish market, and I know if you're listening from the UK, that sounds like a tiny amount. But the UK was also going through a very serious uh, supply issue in the in 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 that market, and I even see there is a briefing paper dated uh, January 2021 and it's on tackling the undersupply of housing in England. So this is not exclusive an Irish problem. This is happening and I and I know from listening to my brother lives in in uh, Florida in the US and he's saying that there's been a huge spike in prices there and it's down to supply as well. So your supply and you're looking at the amount that supply you have to have a look at what your national what your what your the statistics say that your requirement is just to sort of service the population growth in the area now in the irish market this the the statistics this every year there's a census or not every year every 10 years there is a census and the census tells you you know the age and the profile of all of the different homes and the people that are living in the country or the state or whatever it might be and um, there it will assess from those numbers what the amount of houses that are required in order to kind of service that population. And in the Irish market, it is 30 to 35,000 housing units a year. That's the amount that's needed every single year just to meet the amount of demand that is coming from the population. That's not addressing the lack of supply from the previous year and the previous year and so on. So 30 to 35,000 is just dealing with the current year. And if you have sort of an undersupply from the previous year and from the previous sort of years before that, well, then that kind of gets added on top of that. Now, in the last three years here in the Irish market, and I'm going to focus on the Irish market because it's the one that I'm in. But this applies to if you're looking at this from a UK point of view or in the US or whatever. You just have to go and Google these figures and they'll pop up pretty quickly um, because these are, stu- these are figures that the statistics office and, um, and the building trade and the construction industry, they all monitor this stuff for this information. But in the last three years in Ireland alone, we have only produced 20,000 units a year. Now, I just told you 30 to 35 is the requirement just to stand still in terms of the numbers of people and yet we're only supplying 20,000. Now, that is a structural undersupply to the market, and that means that you're just gonna have, the supply is constantly under the amount that it needs to be, and every year that grows worse and worse, and that is why we're seeing more and more demand for property, because there just isn't enough supply to satisfy it. Now, add into those structural undersupply Add into that the COVID restrictions that were brought in in uh, two years ago. Now it has massively disrupted supply chains, not just in Ireland, around the world. And you know, we—if you go back—and I'm not even just talking about the real estate sector. If you go back to 2020, when all of this stuff started, um, you actually had the motor industry. uh, they they do this manufacturing where it's just-in-time delivery of uh, logistics. And so you only get so many widgets every day to your factory that you need to put into the car or whatever it is you're building. The construction industry is not far off that. There are certain products that we could get next-day delivery. And I know from from the project that we're working on here in Dublin, a housing project in Shank Hill, um, you might have seen it on my social media, That uh, was badly impacted by this. We were expecting to be able to order stuff and it would arrive the next day. And instead it was weeks and weeks of a delay. And so it meant that we had to pre-order stuff that normally we wouldn't order for months and just stack it all up on site so that we actually had it when we needed it. And that is causing um, inventory levels to go low in places where they would normally just be a, a sort of a steady supply there. Um, Also, the restrictions on the market, they delayed a lot of projects. I mean, there was several months when the construction industry was just completely shut down. And uh, because of COVID, it was just not possible to go to a site. Now, sites were opened up earlier than businesses and things like that. So people were back working because it's an outdoor job a lot of the time. But there was still restrictions. And so that backed up an awful lot of projects and meant that projects that were due to be delivered, say, in June, didn't get delivered maybe till December. And because of that six-month lag, um, which is both a labor-related lag, restrictions-related lag, and also the supply chain lag, all of that has created this kind of backlog where the projects are being delivered late and the new projects that were due to start haven't been able to start because of the fact that these guys are tied up on other projects. So you can see how all of this combines to just pushing everything further away, or if people are demanding that it starts early, it's starting either more expensive or it's starting with an enormous amount of pressure on the people that are involved. Now I know the professional teams that I work with, um, like they're under enormous pressure because they're trying to deliver projects. They might be delivering five or six projects at the same time, instead of one or two, that would be the norm. And so there's this whole catch-up going on at the moment, which is really, really challenging. And it's causing delays and back, backup, um, things to back up and stuff. And also, on top of that, you had an awful lot of people go abroad. When, when the restrictions came along, a lot of people thought, okay, you know what I can do? I can save some money. I can actually give up my place that I rent, and I can move home to my parents and that will mean that I can save you know, some money while I'm at home working from home. Now that didn't just happen in here in Ireland, it happened across the board in the construction industry and a huge number of people went back to whatever country that they are originally from. So huge numbers of people went back to Poland and various places and so Those people that went back have been, you know, because it's taken two years for these restrictions to come to an end, some of them have decided not to come back at all, some of them have decided to kind of delay their return, and that is creating this labour shortage. And that is, that labour shortage is happening on top of the fact that you already have that backlog I just mentioned. So you can see this is all having an impact. Now, the impact of COVID is one thing and that's something that we're all kind of very very acutely aware of right now but I got to take you back actually to 2008 and it's hard to believe that you know 12 14 years on we're still talking about 2008 but it actually had a massive impact on the construction industry in the Irish market and I think across the world but let's just focus right now on the Irish market the you know back in 2005 2006 I've talked about you know the the crazy Deals that I did where I made it you know two or three million in six weeks and things like that that was back in that you know crazy period and making that kind of money v- so quickly it's not normal but at the time we all thought it was kind of you know a crazy we all just thought that we were kind of in this bonanza time and it was kind of um, it was just a crazy period of time and what that did was it led to rampant speculation. you could make so much money so quickly that you kind of threw caution to the wind and you just threw, look, if I throw money at this deal, I'm just bound to make more money on it. And so a lot of people got into that mindset that you you barely had to review a deal at all, you just had to kind of throw money at it and you'd be in and you'd probably double your money or whatever. Now, that had the knock on impact on construction because so many properties were being bought up that construction industry kept on growing and growing and growing in order to service this demand. And so, Back in 2007, I think it was 2007, maybe 2008, we actually delivered eighty to 90,000 completions, like house unit completions in that year. I just told you a little bit earlier that we're now at 20,000. So we have fallen off by, you know, three quarters in terms of the numbers that we are currently delivering. Eighty to 90,000 a year were being delivered into the Irish market Then the crash came, and it totally pulled the rug from everything. Tons and tons of developers went bust. Their banks pulled the money on them. When they went bust, they were unable to pay contractors. Contractors went bust. When contractors went bust, they were unable to pay subcontractors. Subcontractors went bust. It had this terrible domino effect, and it knocked everybody out. And huge numbers of people, I mean tens of thousands of people, basically lost their job, or their business or their livelihood, and they had to start again. And so a lot of people went abroad. You know, The Irish market took you know, six or seven years to recover. And that length of time, people can't sit on their hands and knee and, and kind of twiddle their thumbs for that period of time. They had to go somewhere where they could make it work. So I was away in the Middle East during that period of time. A lot of people went to Australia. A lot of people went to other parts of the world and set up those people a lot of them have decided not to come back, whether they you know, they, they create homes, they meet people, they have families, all of that stuff happens and they stay away. And so they're not coming back. And so we're unable to get the same you know, construction industry back. The 20,000 that we're building now, for us to double that would take a monumental amount of work and yet it would still only be about half of the completions we were doing 12, 14 years ago. So basically a decade of supply has been lost during that 2008 crash. And that is something that is very, very important to remember because it means that if we want to expand the construction sector, um, you know, we're looking at a very substantial amount of work and formation of businesses and just bringing all those people back. How do we do that? So let's get into inventory levels, right? Inventory levels are the amount of property that's actually sitting there available for supply. and. I mentioned the thirty to 35,000 required completions in order to kind of supply the market. And at the moment, only 20 are being delivered. So you've got this big, big, big catch-up that's required in order to actually meet the demand. And that is the the various... um, institutes and, and uh, different industry kind of bodies are out there that have suggested that it's about 50,000. Now, I mentioned 80 to 90 was the max. So we are a long way off delivering 50,000 units. And because of that, because of that construction industry you know, capacity issue that I've mentioned, I do think that there's just no way we are gonna be able to sort the supply issue for years and years to come, certainly in the Irish market. I can't speak to other markets and so you, but if you Google all of this information yourself, you should be able to identify the answers to some of these questions. Now let's get into demand, okay? So demand is the next aspect of the, um, of the drivers in the market. And at the moment, here in Ireland certainly, we have a very high population growth. Um, we're probably one of the youngest European nations um, in terms of our age profile. And uh, on top of that, we've got a high degree of migration. And if you look at the the migration figures, there's um, the way it works with migration. You've got inward migration and outward migration, emigration and immigration. And uh, there might be certain numbers of people coming into the country, but that's balanced out by a certain number of people that are leaving. And so you have either a net inward figure or a net outward figure. Now, looking at the Irish market in 2019, 80,000 people came into the Irish market. 80,000 immigrants. I think it's actually closer to 90,000. 90,000 immigrants came in to come live in Ireland and start work and things like that. That was balanced by about 55,000 emigrants. Those are people that were leaving the country to go to another country uh, to live or whatever. Now that. Gives you a net figure that is in the region of about 35,000 more coming in than leaving. And so you would say to yourself, okay, so that's 35,000 people that we need to accommodate in addition to the construction or to the population figure that's growing. So you've got people that are. Reaching their teens and then they're growing, and when they reach their 30s, they need to start homes, start families, things like that. That's happening in the population, but you've also got this migration happening on top of that. Now, 35,000 people net positive. That might sound like a sort of, a, you know, a decent enough figure compared to the 90,000 that comes in and the 40, you know, the 50,000 that are leaving. But what you've got to look at is the is the the makeup of those numbers. The numbers of people that are coming into the country to live, they are coming in generally for work and they're coming in uh, work or to, to study or whatever it might be, but they need accommodation. They are not coming in to move in with their parents. Whereas the people that are emigrating abroad, a lot of the time those are people that are living at home with their parents and so when they leave, they're not freeing up a house. They are actually moving out of you know, the front bedroom or whatever, and they're going, whether they're going to go and study in another country or whether they're going to go and um, just get a job in another country, but they can't afford to move out. So that is going to actually skew those figures and make it even greater. So the demand from migration is probably much, much higher than we uh, seem to think. And then the natural population You've also got to look at the structure of who is buying property. Back in 2008, and that build-up before the crash, most of the people that were buying were actually speculating. There was a huge amount of speculation because of the way the market was going so well for so long. And so um, lots and lots of people were borrowing too much. There was a credit bubble going on. People were borrowing far more money than was prudent. And you end up in a situation where, the, the crash came along and there was this, this huge overhang of supply. You had all of these apartments that people didn't actually need. Houses and apartments were there. And when people were trying to sell, it, sell them, there was no buyers lined up to kind of buy these things. And even if they could buy them, the banks were very difficult to deal with and stuff. Today, it's a totally different structure of the market. Because of the decade that we lost in the construction sector and the fact that we're now in this structural undersupply, Everybody that needs a home is pretty much looking to buy the home to live in. Um, And of course, there are investors out there, but most of the people that are buying are owner-occupiers. And the reality is, is that you have got um, these rules that have been brought in by the central bank around the lending. Um, And so lending is very, there's a lot of rules that are very, very stringent. And so the days of going and getting 100% finance and borrowing the whole lot, those are gone and most people have got very strict they have to put down a deposit and there is only in in here in the irish market it's 3.5 is the max um, of your salary in the uk it's I think it's 4.5 now i've mentioned before like china at the moment which has de- dealing with all of its problems that is because it has allowed borrowing to kind of reach 30 to 40 times annual earnings and so you're talking about you know, generations of a family getting, you know, pooling their resources to be able to buy one property. And um, that is one of the reasons why that market is in the difficulty that it's in. The next driver is affordability. And affordability, a few months ago, I was talking about this and I was talking about the risk of inflation. And at the time, you know, people were sort of flagging inflation because of the supply chain issues and because we were coming out of covid and there was this kind of feel good factor people had extra savings you know in their bank and stuff and so we had an issue with inflation 6 months ago but now this um this is actually even bigger of an issue with ukraine kicking off the oil prices have spiked and it's because russia is a major supplier of gas and oil and so it's possible that it will not be able to sell its stuff and so prices have shot up and i think i heard that they were at 118 per dollars per barrel now um, of crude and that's up like 20 percent just in the last kind of two weeks so when you have inflation you have a central bank that has to adjust um its lending rate in order to kind of counteract that inflation and so you're going to have now we have low interest rates for a long long time And um, the fact is, is that the the governments have all borrowed so much money that there's a strong chance they're not going to go and massively increase borrowing rates. But don't forget the way the way governments raise money, they don't borrow money and it's on a floating rate. They tend to go and they take they issue bonds and it might be five years or 10 years bonds or 20 year bonds at a certain interest rate. So it could be years before those actually mature and they have to refinance. So this may not be a big issue for governments after all. But for banks, you will suddenly see if there's an increase in the lending rate from the ECB or the Bank of England or the U.S. Fed, it is going to push up interest rates um, in the banks. And so you are going to see that impacting uh, the amount that you can borrow. It's going to impact also the amount that you have to pay every month in interest. Now, you might sort of think to yourself, well, that's no big deal. Because, you know, I've got a little bit of wiggle room. I get more rent than I do paying out. And so I've got that wedge that I can kind of survive. However, the issue is that you've got all of this extra inflation now. And I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but fuel prices for your home, fuel prices for your car, going to the shops, going to restaurants, everything has gone up in, like, substantially. I know that my I just filled up my car today and it was... 120 euro to fill my car. Like just a sort of a year ago, I think it was 70 euro to fill my car. So it has gone up substantially and that is happening across the board. And so the amount I have every month to put into a mortgage say, is not just going up because the borrowing rate is going up. It is also your the amount of money in your pocket to be able to service that is being eroded away by inflation, whether that's fuel, you know, cost of living, all of these things. So that is actually gonna impact affordability. And if you have got people that are not able to borrow, uh, pay as much every month, then that is gonna push down the total amount that they can get from the bank. And when that happens, uh, the construction industry and the house building industry will have to respond by reducing the price of the houses. And that is the only way that you can actually counteract inflation like that. All right, now let's talk about sentiment. Now, sentiment is something that, you know, affordability is what is actually impacting your pocket, your direct uh, cash, you know, in your pocket. Whereas sentiment is much more about your kind of your mindset and the mindset of the people in the market. And so when you have uh, high inflation, high inflation is obviously going to impact uh, the mindset and so it's going to impact uh, sentiment. The fact that you feel that little bit of a pinch, that little bit less money in your pocket, that affordability that you don't feel that you have now, it's definitely gonna impact sentiment to a degree anyway. Now, in addition to that, you've got geopolitical risks and so, you know, people reading about war in Ukraine, people reading about COVID, all of this kind of stuff can have an impact on sentiment. And so it may not turn out to be anything. It might actually be kind of in your imagination, but certainly can put a bit of a dent on your investment uh, outlook and whether or not you think your prices are gonna increase or whatever. Obviously, if you think it's gonna increase, you feel more confident investing. Whereas if there's that uncertainty around what is happening in the market, and all of that, then it just becomes a little bit of a question mark, and you start to cons- get concerned, and maybe you hold back on that big purchase that you're thinking of making. Um, sanctions on Russia: um, the sanctions are most definitely going to impact the Russian market. Whether the Russian market, uh, you can see now that uh, the likes of Roman Abramovich has put Chelsea Football Club up for sale. Um, he's put his home up for sale, by all accounts. other russian oligarchs that are putting their homes up for sale so that's not going to really impact the average person it's obviously going to put you know properties back on the market but there is that whole sentiment around that it's around the the fact that there are sanctions there's sanctions on russia will there be any retaliation on that you would have to kind of wonder about that i have heard that um Russia has retaliated on um, some of the television stations. BBC has been told to close down, things like that. Or I think it might be Sky or whoever. But all of that is obviously... But then the cost spike that we're going to see in gas and oil prices. So uh, Russia is the biggest supplier of gas into the German market and into kind of the, the main European market. And if they are no longer able to supply anything at all, then that is gonna spike prices. And we've already seen prices rise about 20% in the last 10 days. And that being the case, uh, inflation is gonna be much worse than it was. I mean, it was already a problem. Now suddenly you have to uh, add to that 20% increase in fuel prices. And that's only 10 days into this conflict. You could actually be looking at potentially that going higher and higher and people are speculating now whether fuel uh, the cost of crude oil will go to 150 a barrel and at 150 a barrel there's absolutely no question a recession will be triggered and a recession uh, all a recession is by the way is two quarters of negative growth and so doesn't necessarily you know mean that the, the the sky is falling or anything like that but it can triggered that sentiment again if, if everyone's talking about the fact that we're now in recession that again is another thing that impacts sentiment and sentiment ultimately filters down through the economy through the population people start to feel a little bit less comfortable and and so that is all something that you just have to wonder about and the question is really are we looking at a long-term conflict here as well is this I personally don't think that we're looking at uh, a six-week conflict and then everything will go back to normal. I think too much damage has been done by the Russian invasion, and therefore I think this is actually more likely to expand into other areas, as I mentioned, Moldova, which I hope isn't the case, but I just suspect that that is the kind of the, the bigger picture. And, uh, and it could well, I mean, who knows where this will go and if it turns out to be something kind of like the balkans back in the 1990s you had serbia and croatia and all these countries at war and it was uh, it i mean it went on for about 5 years in the end i think it was so it was quite a few years of problems and people getting killed and and all of that but it does impact locally economies in a great to a great extent not so much the wider economy but in this case if it impacts you know multiple European countries then there's a strong possibility it's gonna have an impact on the general economy there'll be less purchases there'll be less investment there'll be just generally speaking it could actually push down investment so you have to wonder what all of this is going to do to sentiment and that's just really more of a statement rather than a prediction. It's just, it makes me curious. You can see people with all of this uncertainty around possible war in Europe. um, You don't see people kind of piling into assets and making big investments and stuff. There is that uncertainty about the future. And so I think the combined impact of the affordability and the, the sentiment is is just gonna possibly push down, put some pressure we'll say. I don't think we're looking at a crash, but I do think there could be some downward pricing pressure because of affordability primarily and if sentiment starts to get impacted. You just have to wonder. I mean, inflation was already at, you know, five to 8% before this kicked off. And so, what's it going to be in a couple of months' time? I mean, if, if fuel prices have jumped by twenty percent, that has to be filtered in to your the numbers. And so, there is this there is this figure that is expressed in um, or these, it's kind of, I guess it's a it's kind of a metric that people use. But they say for every one percent rate increase in prices, uh, sorry, in interest rates, that you can see a corresponding ten percent fall in the purchase price of houses now that is in the u.s market i've heard that said whether or not it applies in other markets we shall have to wait and see but i do think the next six to twelve months will actually see a bit of a difference um and you know we'll just have to see now it's not every you know there are opportunities in amongst this i was thinking about this from the point of view i was talking with my the members of my mastermind the other evening and we were just chatting about the fact that, um, yes, you've got the supply and you've got the demand issues. So that's not going to push down prices in that regard. The affordability aspect is something that could be a problem um, and sentiments, whatever your, your, your own view on sentiment is. But you're going to have at the moment today, as of today, there's 1.5 million refugees have left Ukraine. And there's estimates that that could increase to up to 4 million people. And those four million people are going to be repatriated throughout Europe. And uh, I mean, probably it's going to be based on where their families are located. And so you have certainly here in Ireland, I have already heard that 20,000 people have arrived in Ireland from Ukraine and that there could be, um, I think, up to 60 or 80,000 more coming. Now, where are those people going to stay? The likelihood is in the short term, they'll stay with family and friends that are living here already. But I know uh, not so long ago, I had a uh, friend from another country staying with us and after about three weeks, you kind of, you reach your fill. And uh, and so you kind of start to put pressure on them to kind of find their own place and stuff. And I can imagine that that is something that could actually happen with these 60, you know, 50,000 ukrainian refugees they're not necessarily uh refugees that are going to need to um you know the state to provide them with accommodation that they, they'll you know a lot of these people are professionals they're going to have to get jobs and work and things like that so it's going to be interesting to see but i think there's probably going to be opportunities in and around the provision of space for uh refugees potentially um it could also you know so things like Guest houses getting converted into HMO. Um, Hotels or former hotels getting converted. Um, Something that can provide a lot of bedrooms quickly. That could be an opportunity given this influx of people. And that I think that's where HMOs and things like that. It's going to be a golden opportunity I think for, for people to do that. Now having said that. Um, one of the guys, Ed Martin, mentioned that you know it's not so easy to finance a, a HMO because of the way the banks here in Ireland are set up. It is a very good point that he makes: is that the um, when you go and look for a you know funding on a HMO in the UK, HMOs are you know regulated, and so it's quite easy to get funding for it. But here in the Irish market, they're not actually regulated, and often when you convert a house into a HMO, it's not recognised by valuers and so they won't give you that increased price they'll still base it on the house prices in that general area and so that is becoming a bit of an issue and so just funding a development like that could be problematic so let's get to the conclusion of this talk shall we the ukrainian crisis the conflict it could expand there's no doubt about that and that is a risk um Putin, I've just listened to Vladimir Putin giving talks and stuff. And these, these really, you know, veil threats, they're not that veil anymore. They're just like outward threats. He said today um, that the economic sanctions are tantamount to a declaration of war. So that's not good. And then in addition to that, he made this warning that anybody who introduces or tries to introduce a no-fly zone in Ukraine Will deemed to have become part of the invasion, uh, part of the war, and therefore they become a target. So that is uh, now it could all be saber rattling, as they say, but I do think that there is um, there's a lot of people out there that are just starting to get worried that this is not going to stop um, because of sanctions. This is going to go on. He's going to complete. It. This is now uh, for his political survival. He needs to pres- you know present strength. And so I don't think he's going to back away. And so it, it could well be that this becomes a NATO versus Russia conflict. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But I'm normally an optimistic person. But when you're looking at this particular conflict, like if you look at the war that happened in 1945, uh, 1939 to 1945, six years, I mean, potentially we're looking at that kind of thing. We'll have to wait and see, but um, I hope not, dear God, but it's, um, it's still, it's just, it's, there's, no, there's no reason why this is just going to like, you know, be resolved in a short term, just listening to the different parties that are involved. So this is going to impact sentiment for investment in the European market in general, I imagine. And it's definitely going to impact the, um, the inflation issues that we mentioned earlier. And that's going to happen in Ireland, the UK, Europe in general. And it's already happening around the world. But fuel prices are definitely going to impact us. And that's going to push up inflation greater than it already was, which was already getting bad. And so I think you're going to be looking at significant affordability issues. However, we do have very strong supply demand imbalances in the Irish market and the UK market. And therefore, I don't see a crash. For a, for a crash to happen... You need all buyers to just disappear. We still have huge numbers of people looking for property. Um, it's not like before where it was rampant speculation and the people that were looking to buy suddenly saw the market was crashing and they all pull out and they don't want to buy anymore. The people that are looking to buy are looking to buy because they need a home. And if prices fall, it be it be a better opportunity for them to buy as far as they're concerned, provided they can afford it. It will give them an opportunity to get into the, onto the housing ladder. And you're not buying a property because you expect it to go up in price. You're buying it because you need it and it's getting expensive to rent and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't think you're going to see a crash because I think the buyers are there. Um, the supply is not there. The demand is there in droves. But affordability is definitely going to impact the amount that people can pay on a monthly basis and that obviously extrapolates upwards to the uh, value of property and I know because we've, we develop houses and things like that when you're looking at your figures you're looking at what can people afford what, what are the rates, what's the average wage and what is the max that people can borrow based on that wage and then you figure out what your prices are going to be and you put it out there on the market for sale and if you get it right everyone comes along and buys up your property. If you get it wrong, your properties hang around on the market for too long, and then you have to go and adjust prices downwards. And nobody likes that because the few people that might have bought initially see that the prices are now cheaper, so they get upset and everything like that. Um, But definitely I think inflation is going to impact affordability and therefore you could see some price, downward pricing pressure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Behind the Facade. If you found the episode useful, please take a moment to leave a comment below or leave a review over on iTunes. If you have any questions or topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please you could also leave a comment in the uh, YouTube below or you could connect with me via my Facebook group and that is called Behind the Facade Community. Alternatively, you will always find me on social media. My handle is Gavin J. Gallagher and alternatively if you're not into social media i do have a website www.gavinjgallaher.com and when you're there you can actually click on a button that says join my tribe and by joining my tribe you will end up on the email list and you'll get updates for any projects or any things that i'm doing at moment. so hope you found that useful guys and let's hope uh, things sort of ease off a little bit over in ukraine take care guys